Why? Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we examine the future of the American Hockey League with Patrick Williams of AHL.com. As the league today said February 5th is their tentative start date for 2021. Also, we look back at the World Series with Jamie Bettens of the MJBL on the podcast. One piece of news we could pass along to you is that the American Hockey League has penciled in, and I use the term pencil on purpose, a start date of February 5th. They're aiming, hopefully, potentially, maybe, to start their season at that time. And for more on this, we are joined by Patrick Williams, who covers the league for AHL.com. Patrick, how are you tonight? Hey, how are you? Doing well. So this news today, February 5th, again, definitely in pencil, right? Uh, I think pencil's the right word. Tentative, targeted, uh, pick your uh, choice of uh, words, but uh, uh, it's all very conditional uh, at this point. So the news release from the league today basically just said, yep, February 5th, and we're going to work on everything from here, right? Exactly. Uh, we, we've unofficially known this for a while that uh, that original December 4th date was uh, not looking so great. Uh, um, so this will now push uh, everything back an additional two months. Uh, so a total of four months from the typical October start. Uh, and uh, you're kind of getting compressed uh, on both ends of the schedule. Uh, now you're, you're looking at at most uh, or at best a very late start. Uh, and yet you still, if you want to have a, season start on time uh, in October of 21, you do need to try to get this season done as quickly as possible as well. So the clock is ticking. How much of the decision for when the AHL starts is related to when the NHL starts? Uh, quite a bit. Uh, I mean, there's a little bit of variation allowed, uh, maybe a week or so, a week or two, if you have to. But uh, they, they mostly want to be in sync uh, with, with, with the NHL. The NHL and the AHL are so, so joined uh, uh, together that it, it's really almost impossible to not uh, be uh, roughly on that same schedule. Uh, typically, the American League season starts uh, a few days after the NHL season and it goes a week longer. Uh, but uh, the AHL tends to push through the playoffs uh, pretty quickly and wrap up right around when the NHL Stanley Cup final wraps up. So, um, but for player recalls and issues like that, uh, uh, you really do need to be on, on roughly the same schedule. Fair to say, though, that the National Hockey League, at least to start, might be able to bear the brunt of no fans in the stands, whereas the American Hockey League, it's less able to bear the lack of gate receipts. Yeah, that's that's where that's where the issue, and that's really where the rubber is going to hit the road. Because um, I, I've noticed a shift this speaking with different uh, general managers, uh, people inside the business. The mentality has now sort of shifted from, well, how do we make money this year to how do we minimize our losses? Um, we're not going to make money. Uh, nothing is typical right now. Uh, but how do we uh, manage to scratch out a season, uh, <clears throat> get those players uh, playing time, and yet not uh, completely uh, take a massive financial hit? And, I don't know that they have answers right now. I think they're, they're trying to figure a lot of things out, but uh, you're dealing with, uh, obviously you're dealing with the virus, but you're also dealing with uh, governments in two different countries, uh, provincial governments, state governments, and the fact that the border is shut down right now. So 
uh, they have a lot of things to sift through. Uh, so in a lot of ways, it, today's decision uh, buys it a little bit of extra time, but uh, the, the clock is ticking quickly. So you mentioned the Canadian aspect of this. We have seven NHL teams in Canada, just four in the American Hockey League, and in all Canadian divisions being you know, rumored in uh, – that's my cat, don't mind him uh, – it's been rumored to be a thing in the NHL. Does that make any sense for the AHL? It, it might have to uh, for this year uh, for the main reason that if the border is shut down um, and you want to move uh, players from the NHL club uh, back to the American League or, or vice versa, um, if you have to go through a two-week quarantine, I mean, it, it's just not feasible. So uh, what you could do is if uh, you have one of those clubs, like say if you're the Vancouver Canucks, you could uh, have your players play somewhere within Canada um, so that at least they're on the right side of the border in terms of uh, player movement and uh, do it as a one-year one year type of deal. And then hopefully, if all things go well, uh, be back to normal by a, a year from now. But um, there's a lot of issues involved there trying, trying to uh, uh, set things right with your affiliate uh, in the U.S. and also trying to set up some sort of infrastructure for your prospects to play somewhere in Canada. So um, that's a pretty big uh, uh, undertaking uh, in the best of times, uh, to say nothing of uh, the fact that um, a lot of NHL front offices right now are, are, are pretty thinned out, and so are American League front offices. So there's uh, not necessarily a ton of staff on hand uh, to, to make all that happen. And uh, really, uh, you have to have this all pretty much squared away uh, you know, in three months or so. So... Um, it's, it's going to be a tight, tight fit, I think, if they do do that. But uh, really, uh, the border may force their hand and uh, leave them no other choice. Well, and you look at something like the American Association, just independent baseball here. Mm-hmm. The Gold Eyes in Winnipeg had to play their entire season south of the border. But it's a lot different. And the MLS, too, where three Canadian teams play each other mm-hmm. in Canada, then they're stationed south of the border now. It's different because you've got the call-up angle where these AHL teams have to be available to send players to the NHL club. And in Winnipeg, it's fine because they're in the same building, the Moose and the Jets. But for others, it's not as easy. No, it's not. And and in the American League, uh, players are moved back and forth to the NHL all the time. I mean, you'll, you'll see some players two or three times in a week, especially with the salary cap. Um, when they're trying to uh, squeeze as much uh, of that as they can. And, uh, so you'll have a player, uh, you know, say somebody, you know, with Edmonton uh, is injured at the morning skate and they need a player uh, uh, quickly. Well, we'll make a phone call down to Bakersfield, California and uh, put a player on a plane and he'll be in Edmonton that night for the game. So uh, it tends to be, you know, very quick uh, recalls and, um, you know, certainly uh, you know, just getting a player uh, – you know, from one location to another in a typical year is difficult. Now you're looking at also uh, there's fewer flight options in some of these cities uh, with air travel being cut so much. And then uh, certainly the quarantine is the issue. Uh, and perhaps the uh, the rapid testing uh, might be one way um, through that. Uh, the pilot, uh, 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 you know, a project that they have going on in Alberta right now, but um, who knows how that turns out. I mean, uh, that's that's still a ways off till we really know uh, how that works. So uh, NHL teams right now have to uh, really come up with a number of contingencies uh, uh, to, to anticipate uh, what they may have to deal with. And you look at a club like Edmonton, 
they've already sent another number of their prospects over to Europe uh, with different clubs over there. Uh, but at some point, you still need a taxi squad of sorts, uh, you know, for, the, for those uh, player recalls, and uh, that's what they have to square away. And uh, they really don't have a lot of time to do it either. Down to the ECHL, the Norfolk Admirals have already said we're opting out of this season. How many teams do you think won't play this year? Do you think that's a possibility where not all 31 take the ice? Yeah, I think uh, definitely that's a possibility. Uh, Norfolk uh, and Atlanta so far, and then you still have uh, two Canadian clubs up there, uh, one in St. John's and one in Brampton, uh, just right outside Toronto. So um, uh, the border shut down for them as well. And and you look at the club in St. John's, that's especially difficult because everything there is a flight. uh, And um, how how easy is, is it to put 20, 25 players on a plane uh, with staff and everyone else and, uh, you know, jet around uh, North America. It's not it's not something that is easy right now. And, th- and that, that problem extends to the American League. Uh, you look at a team like the Texas Stars based down in Austin, uh, they're uh, really the only club anywhere around. They have to fly, uh, you know, to all their road games now. Uh, same thing with the Charlotte Checkers, Colorado Eagles, Manitoba Moose fly everywhere. Um, so uh, it's, it's difficult. Uh for them to, um, you know, you're not an NHL club where you can get on your charter flight and uh, kind of keep things isolated. Uh, with, with an American League team or an ECHL team, uh, you're getting generally on a commercial flight and, and um, uh, having to be out in public there and, and take on the risk that that may bring. Uh, and so there, it, there's a lot of really complicated issues here. It's not a bubble situation like the NHL was this summer. And uh, there's a lot more of that natural, um, you know, means uh, for virus transmission that uh, some of those uh, teams that were in the bubble just didn't have to deal with necessarily. Is there a chance the AHL season just doesn't happen, period? Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of calling this strike two. Uh, you know, the, the December 4th, uh, when they had to push back, that was strike one. December um, or this February Fifth uh, deadline is straight to uh, Scott House and I spoke with him. He's the president of the AHL. Uh, he allowed the possibility of a March uh, start uh, if they absolutely have to, but um, that would be a difficult fit. Uh, so uh, if they can naturally pull off this February 5th uh, uh, start, then that should work. But uh, if they have to really think about pushing it back again and case numbers going up, uh, in Canada as well as the states, uh, it's going to be really difficult, I think, to uh, to push it back much further. And is there a chance that some teams won't make it through this and they'll have to board up the windows? Uh, there, there's a chance that some teams won't play this season simply because of uh, the logistics or just they're not able to make the numbers work. Uh, I think that's where they get into a challenge, uh, challenging situation is are you better off not playing this year, kind of uh, going on hiatus, uh, keeping your expenses expenses to a bare minimum, and uh, then coming back in, uh, a year from now, uh, rather than trying to scratch out a season and uh, you know, take on all the costs of playing, but with uh, minimal revenue. So that's going to be something that each club and each market, depending on their uh, specific situation, will have to decide. But uh, I think there's going to be some teams that really have to make a difficult decision. And, um, you know, unfortunately for them, so much of this is out of their control. Um, there's not much you can do if uh, the government uh, isn't letting you play, and there's not much you can do 
uh, the case numbers don't come down. So uh, um, it's a really difficult time right now for a lot of clubs across the league. Absolutely. Well, Patrick, I appreciate your time tonight informing us on all that's going on here, and uh, we'll stay in touch as we figure out what the league plans to do. Thanks for this. Absolutely. Thank you. Last night, Dodgers a 3-1 win over the Tampa Bay Rays in Game 6. And the Dodgers winning, I mean, this is something most of us thought would happen all the way back in the before times, before spring training was suspended. They were the best team, they added Mookie Betts, and here they are today, the champions. Despite a bunch of COVID outbreaks early on, they were able to get to the finish line, albeit barely. Justin Turner, come on. So to look back on all that's happened to get to this point, we're joined one last time this year by Jamie Bettens, president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League and a huge baseball fan. Jamie, what did you think of the the whole journey leading to the Dodgers getting it done? I, I think it was you know a, a product of so much hard work from so many people behind the scenes, and the fact that we did get it off, um, you know, is a credit, especially in the format, the non-bubble type format that they you know tried to do it in, uh, speaks volumes for the ability to kind of keep it as minimized as possible from a risk perspective um interesting that the top two teams made it through to the end and and the the best team in the league uh, eventually won the world series so uh, you know i i think it happened the way it should have happened the way we predicted it would happen um yeah but the you know that whole justin turner situation at the end became a bit of a black eye and it'll be interesting to see kind of how that plays out over the next few days well that's really what the main takeaway for just about anybody that's not a Dodgers or Rays fan, anybody checking in that's a neutral person watching the post game, Kevin Burkhart comes on breaking news, by the way, Justin Turner has COVID and you're just like, wait, what? How, what? Pardon me? And he got taken out late in the game. He was already exposed to his teammates. And then he comes out and disregards security back on the field, wearing a mask and hugging teammates, hugging family members just a, a a bad look, I think, for pretty much everyone involved, is it not? I think it's a it's an absolute black eye, and uh, it's unfortunate. But uh, I'm be, I'll be very curious to see how they navigate through that, um, and and what repercussions it may bring to starting the next season up when they are available to go and get it going again. Because you have to ask the question of who knew and how long have they known for. Um, right, right back to patient zero with Justin Turner himself. Um, you know, knowing you're exhibiting the signs, uh, you've probably been carrying it for a period of time. Where did they get it from, and uh, how valid was the testing to that point? So that's there's a lot of unanswered questions that uh, there will be a lot to unpack over the next few days for sure. Well, and from Ma- Rob Manfred's point of view, he was probably thinking we're so close to the finish line, like literally hours from getting this done. We haven't had a positive test for weeks, and then this happens. And, I mean, his performance in the post game he was, I don't know if something was wrong, but he sounded really rattled. He was, yeah, I don't know what it was. I had no idea what happened to him. This, the speech was a little bit off. It certainly seemed like there was something very pressing on his mind, which, which could have been the situation, as he was probably trying to think of the numerous directions that he would be pulled into from questions. Um but, but again, like, you know, where did he contact it from? Who, where did he get it? Did he go off site? Did he do all these other things? Were protocols being followed? Um, th- this could turn into something much bigger um, over the next few days. And it'll be interesting to see if any of it gets reported out or if the at baseball and the Dodgers just keep it so close to the vest that we don't ever learn of maybe who else gets the virus. Let's talk about the actual baseball as baseball would like us to. 
the Dodgers getting it done in six games. And really, last night, the, the big story everyone's talking about is Kevin Cash yanking Blake Snell. But for my money, the bigger story is the fact that the Rays' bats did nothing the whole game. Yeah, I, I think it's magnified because of you know the lightning rod that is the, the the move to pull Snell, but they wouldn't be in the position to be in Game Six of the World Series if they hadn't used their data-driven approach. You know, they it obviously worked and it got them to Game Six of the World Series. Um, you you wish, you know, maybe he would have thought a little bit longer about the decision, but at the same time, maybe they had information that we are certainly not privy to that uh, that resulted in him being taken out. I personally would have talked to my pitcher a little bit more, um, you know, got a, a better sense of, you know, where they were at. But I don't think any pitcher was going to say, yeah, coach, I, you, you can take me out. I'm ready. I think everybody would have, would have fought to stay in the game. So, you know, if it would have worked, he would have looked like a genius. But if it doesn't, he looks like the goat. And, and, and that's where we're at with that. Well, and the problem for for cash is – Right, he was Snell was having one of the maybe great World Series starts of all time. But for those watching from a neutral point of view that maybe haven't watched a lot of the Rays, this is a guy who's managing a team with a twenty-eight million dollar payroll, who's been able to get this team to Game Six of the World Series. And I think maybe the criticism most have is more so that they just wished there was more of a balanced approach between analytics and the eye test, where you see how Snell is going, but at the same time. Snell's ERA after the fourth inning this postseason was over 12. His The average of opponents third time through the order is way higher. Historically, that's when you take Blake Snell out, and they see the numbers. The Maybe one big argument is who he put in, and Nick Anderson was their best reliever all season, but he had allowed runs in six straight appearances in the postseason, and it clearly backfired. The common sense approach, you know, tell you know, says that he did everything right to go from a left-handed curveball throwing pitcher to a right-hander with an over-the-top delivery in the high 90s is the right play. Nick Anderson did struggle in the playoffs; it was documented. But you know, I, I do think he made the right play. Where this falls short for me as a as a player slash coach is, you know, what kind of trust does that you know, what kind of message of trust does that send to the players or even potential free agents that, you know, may sign with Tampa in the future? You know, are you going to trust the laptop, so to speak, or are you going to trust the eye test? Or are you going to, you know, show faith in me by allowing me to go a little bit further? Um, That's a tough call because, you know, Tampa is going to need to attract top name players, top name pitchers. And that may be, you know, one of those things that you don't see the result of for a long time. Um, but but a pitcher may choose not to come because of that particular play. Do you think Randy or Rosarena is here to stay, or is that just a kind of flash-in-the-pan performance? You know, it, it wouldn't be the first time that a, a player has kind of come through and then, you know, the following season, the, the, the term is that the book will be out on him. I, I think teams will be able to, you know, spend quite a bit of time in the offseason figuring out how to pitch to him. They didn't know, didn't have enough intel on him leading into that. So typically that's what you see. But to do what he did in a postseason um, is, is pretty spectacular. Does that change if, you know, the Dodgers have home field advantage and he's got 60,000 people breathing down his neck um, or playing in a stadium like Tampa has where there's next to no support? 
um, you know, who knows? Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of outliers there that, you know, may have resulted in lower numbers. So I, I don't think so, but I do think he's a, he's an all-star type player that's here to stay for a while. I think the craziest stat from this postseason isn't the fact that he had 10 home runs. It's that he had 14 RBI. That means he was just hitting solo dingers with no one on base, and it's kind of emblematic of just how the Rays lived and died by the home run. Absolutely. He stayed at the bottom of the order. He had a comfort zone, and they never really took him out of it. Um, you know, There were a lot of games where he DH'd or didn't play in the field or didn't come in until certain parts of the game, so he had a lot of time to go into the tunnel and keep his stick warm, and and they just rode that. Um, you know, I don't think they would even be in the World Series if it wasn't for him. The the pitching wasn't holding enough water to get them to that point, and and it really is remarkable. I, I mean, I, I think that that guy is due for a raise, and it'll be interesting to see what kind of negotiation rights he has given a small sample size like that. We're about eight minutes into this chat, and we really haven't talked about the Dodgers all that much. We should probably show some praise to the champions here. Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, the big bats get it done. Clayton Kershaw gets his ring, and it, last night, right, it was a bullpen committee effort, and they just locked the Rays down. There's something to be said for for Dave Roberts and his ability to take a multi-million-dollar payroll and create a next man up mentality. And that is the sign of a true manager uh, or what you would call a player's manager. You know, somebody who would get the team to be on the same page, put their egos aside and have everybody take on a role. That's essentially how you win a championship. And for the Dodgers to kind of finally take a look at themselves and say, okay, you know, what hasn't been working? What needs to change? You know, I don't think, I think Mookie Betts was such a huge addition for that team not on not necessarily on the field as much as maybe the the value of him in the clubhouse uh coming over and helping maybe Dave Roberts instill that mentality and and really ensure that everybody lives eats sleeps and breathes it i think that's you know where the real success of the Dodgers lies they were next man up willing to take on a role that they didn't really agree with and uh those were the guys that came through in the clutch well, and we talk a lot about the of the big names, but, you know, Dylan Floro comes in and gets the Dodgers out of trouble in the second. Alex Wood comes in, gives them two solid innings. Pedro Baez, Bruce Algratterall, and then Julio Arias comes out of the pen, two and a third innings, four strikeouts, just blowing batters away. And a guy that's 24 and could be a future menace for this team. Absolutely. And there, there's going to be you know, some guys that are going to get paid from this and there's going to be some guys that are probably going to get paid somewhere else because of it as well. There's a lot of free agents on that team. Um, They're not going to be able to keep everybody. Um, But it really is a unique situation to see when you see all these guys, you know, coming together for a common goal. And uh, during the World Series, it's kind of my favorite time of year because the announcers rarely talk about salaries or how much they're making in a year. They just talk about the blood, sweat, and tears and what it takes to truly win a championship. Well, and that's obviously in stark contrast, the two sides, right? The Dodgers not afraid to spend money and the Rays seem petrified to spend money. And we should applaud the players and the manager that they were able to get this far. But at the same time, I don't think the Rays should be overly applauded from a front office point of view or an organizational standpoint for refusing to reward strong performance. Absolutely. I don't think, you know, 
scraping the the bottom of the futility barrel is a is a is a roadmap to success or sustained success. Um, you know, if Tampa could pull it off and get back to the World Series with a similar lineup, then you can give them some credit. But to this point, you know, I, I would have to wonder if they are a bit of a flash in the pan and whether you could sustain this. I think the closest we've ever seen to this in the past decade or so has maybe been the Minnesota Twins who seem to have good scouting departments and, and find a lot of value out of, you know, low impact signings. But I, I just don't think it's sustainable over time to be successful in baseball on a regular basis. You have to spend money and you don't have to look, you know, too far to some of the other teams in the league to, to really understand how that works. So now baseball's done and we wonder when it's going to be back. Do you think we'll have, some kind of normalcy next year or is it just impossible to predict i i think it's still going to be tied to vaccines and, and scientific data you know and justin turner and other players like that you know adhering to protocols i think we'll get back to it i i think you know we will see an economic shift in free agent dollars maybe being handed out and and the amount of contracts or maybe the amount of players that will be waiting looking for contracts hoping to get paid that, that maybe they won't um you know it, we see it in the other multi, in the other national sports as well. When, when and in, but in baseball, when you have 162 games, that's a lot of revenue lost right now without fans, and it'd be pretty hard to pay bills and and spend money and justify spending money to to put together a good lineup when you don't have the resources to back it up. And then there's the question of what we I think forgot about that was the dominant discussion of the summer was labor unrest. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of talks to get both sides back to the table with some sort of harmonized agreement. Um, you know, I, I think both sides realize they will need each other through these times. Um, so that may pave the way for a little bit of a smoother negotiation. But at the same time, um, you know, with all the cloudiness, I certainly from a player perspective wouldn't want to be signing any type of long term deal without knowing, uh, you know, what the future looks like around the corner and whether or not there's a season even two years from now. Well, Jamie, it was uh, a fun ride to go on for this playoff run. Glad to see we got to see a champion crowned and appreciate you coming on as always. Always a pleasure. Thank you and have a good off season. Tune into the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?